Great. Thank you, Will. That was fantastic. Um, I wonder if any of you have ever been coached for something. I assume that's probably true of most of you. Um, drama, music, sports, something like that. You've, you've been coached for something, prepared for something in your life. When I was younger, I was coached um, about how to be British. Now, that might sound um, a slightly odd thing to say. I grew up in New Zealand. Um, my family are all English. And we used to get regular parcels of um, very helpful English things. Um, when we were little, it was things like Postman Pat um, and uh, children's cartoons. As we got older, um, I used to get posted uh, the Animals of Farthingwood cartoons. And my brother used to get the Beano. Um, and then as we got a bit older, um, my grandfather um, took upon himself the laborious job of recording an entire history of Britain on tape and posting it to us. Um, every chapter was completed with a little tinkle. He managed to get a friend to play on the piano. Um, so it was quite an undertaking. And uh, when your grandfather has posted you about 25 hours worth of tapes of the history of Britain, there is no chance that you are not going to listen to them. Um, so car journeys became a uh, historical education about Britain for, for a year or so. It was an amazing gift of love, but um, quite tortuous as a young child. Um, after that, um, we, we came back to England, but not before I'd read my way through most of Enid Blyton. So I came back to England fully expecting Mallory Towers, um, picnics on islands that ended up capturing pirates, you know, that kind of thing. Um, probably far more useful would have been information like English schools have uniforms. Um, you will be expected to wear shoes. Uh, the winter is really long and cold and you don't get to climb trees in the playground because they've chopped them all down and put in ultra-safe climbing frames. Um, all that kind of thing would have been far more useful. We can be prepared, can't we, for the wrong thing. We can have lots of time and energy and investment in us for the wrong thing. And I think it can be a bit like that um, sometimes with spiritual warfare, which is our topic tonight. We need to know what it is that we're preparing for, what it is that we're training for. Otherwise, we're going to spend lots of energy, lots of effort um, chasing non-existent pirates uh, on islands. Paul talks here about the fact that we are in a spiritual battle, one that we need to prepare for. He talks of contending a word that speaks of kind of an athletic struggle or a race or a battle. Everyone who's ever been in a competition knows that if you're not well prepared, it's going to be really hard work and you're probably not going to win. The Bible is completely and utterly clear that we are in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities and powers in the high places. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you might be thinking, that woman has just confirmed how weird the church is for me. That woman is talking about all this weird spiritual mumbo-jumbo stuff, and she's not talking about anything that I can identify with. Well, if you're in that situation, if you're new to church, or if you're just new to this as a concept, I want to put to you that you don't have to do more than open a newspaper read a book, talk to your friends, to realize that there are things in this world that are not as they should be. There are things in this world that just make you go, what? 
How on earth can that happen? That is outrageous. That is evil. And actually, we identify, naturally, we identify things that are evil in the world around us. And I want to talk tonight about how we might fight against that. We know, don't we, from personal experience as well, that things are not as they should be. We have friends who are ill. We get stuck in horrendous traffic jams. We have deadlines that we miss. All sorts of things are not as they should be. We're in a battle of things that are not as they should be. We are continually under pressure from the evil one. And Jesus tells us that we should pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil because there is an enemy that seeks to oppress us. There are dynamics in the spiritual world that we don't fully understand. I'm not an expert on them, by the way. Um, But that they do impact the way that life works out here and now. Um, If you don't uh, appreciate this, if you've never experienced this, um, just can't try going and preaching somewhere or talking about Jesus. Um, There's always something that happens that sort of is a bit of a stumbling block in your path. I was supposed to be um, going up to the university on Thursday night. I have never known traffic like that. It took me about 15 minutes to go one junction down York Road. I decided it wasn't even worth trying to drive to the university because I was already 20 minutes late um, and ended up walking because it was the only way I could get there on time, arriving, dripping wet, you know, very attractive um, when you're starting uh, to do a talk to people you've never met. We need to understand um, what kind of battle we're in and what it is we're fighting for. There's no point turning up to a ballet competition with your boxing gloves. It's not the right dynamic to be working in. We need to understand what it is that we're fighting for. And we need to understand that we're fighting in the context of a war that is already won. You and I are fighting in a war that is already won. This is what Paul is talking about in that passage we read from Colossians. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Jesus stood in victory. On the cross on Easter Friday, when it seemed like no good could come of it, Jesus defeated our sin. And on Easter Sunday, he rose to new life so that we could live in the glorious victory of a battle that is won. But there are still skirmishes, aren't there? There's still ground that hasn't quite recognized um, that the enemy is defeated. We continue to fight this battle every day in our lives in our workplaces, on the way to work, on the way back from work, at home, with our friends, there are still places where it doesn't entirely feel like Jesus has the victory. But we need to look to him, our commander, to be reminded that he has won. He has already won. Now I want, just as we begin to look at spiritual warfare, to to point out two potential dangers. There are two potential dangers. C.S. Lewis sums these up. Um, There are two equal but opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve his existence 
and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. One is to disbelieve his existence. I think we often fall into that in Guildford. And the other is to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. I don't know um, what your spiritual life was like growing up, whether you had one. But I remember as a teenager getting um, piles and piles of books of testimonies of Christians who had lived before and who had written them down. Things like um, Witchcraft to Christ and Run Baby Run about someone who comes out of um, gangs and drug life. And, And I was excited about this amazing possibility that God could rescue people out of these situations that were so ensnaring and enslaving. And I responded with great excitement and passion. The problem was I slightly missed the mark. Um, I thought I could join the battle by fighting with the evil spirits in prayer, by every time I walked past a symbol that looked like something that could be witchcraft, praying against it. Every time I went out with my friends, you know, we'd pray for, um, you know, this house that we wondered if somebody who was unspiritual might live in and uh, all sorts of things like that, praying against things that we found on the floor in case someone had left them. You know, it was a bit extreme and we got really distracted. We stopped looking at the people around us and we started um, looking at things that that didn't necessarily have any relevance at all to the battle we were in. I stopped looking at Jesus. And I stopped looking at the people that he was at work in. And I got distracted. And I'm not sure that that will be the case for many of you. It was the case for me. It was was my error. But I think it's a temptation for us. The other temptation is to ignore the devil completely. And our culture is doing this, writing the devil out of the story. I don't know how many of you have seen The Usual Suspects. And for those of you who haven't, I won't spoil the ending. Um, But it sums up really helpfully the danger of ignoring the evil that's right in front of you. Verbal Clint at the end says, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he did not exist. And sometimes for us, we we don't believe that he doesn't exist, we just don't believe that he's here. We can see him in ISIS, in the beheading of the 21. We can see him in Africa, in voodoo and witchcraft and cults. We can see him in China. We can see him in the Ukraine and what's going on there. We can see him in slavery, in genocide, but not in Surrey. And you laugh. But we're so good at pretending that we're not on the front line. At pretending that actually we're not in a spiritual battle. We need to prepare ourselves for the battle that is in front of us, that will be different for each of us in the place that we live, in the place that we work, in the place where our friends are. We need to look to Jesus, to listen to our commander in order that we know how to fight this battle. Because that's the danger when people are in a battle. You just get involved in what's happening in your corner and you don't look up and see where the commander is going and follow him. You get caught in what is right in front of you, and you miss the big picture. But Jesus has it, so we need to look to him. We need to recognize the reality of spiritual warfare. But we need most of all to make sure that our focus remains on Jesus. To contend for the people, 
not to contend in the abstract. We need to make sure that we are seeking God's will, not just spending energy with no direction. So helpfully, I've got four Ps um, to help us do this. The first one is to prepare. No one goes into battle without preparing. There's no point. If you haven't got your sandwiches, what are you going to do on the lunch break? You have to be prepared. And uh, one of the classic passages, one of the best places to look for this is Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about the armor of God. I'm just going to read some of it to you. Um, Beginning at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we've kind of looked at that. And it goes on. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I'd encourage you um, to take that passage away and to think about it as you think about what it means to prepare for a spiritual battle. It's a great place to start. This passage shows that our job is to stand. The victory is already won. We need to stand in it. We have all these things that help us stand and a couple of things that help us to progress forward. The first thing we have is the gospel of peace, the shoes of the gospel of peace, which protect our feet and move us forwards. And we take the gospel, don't we? It's an active thing. We take the gospel out with us. Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. The shoes of the gospel of peace. And we move forward with the attacking power of the sword of the spirit, which creates a space for us to move into. But it's his power, it's his might. So we go into the space that he has cleared. That's how we advance in this battle. So we need to know the gospel and we need to be filled with the spirit in order to be part of this battle. We look to Jesus, our commander, who teaches us what the gospel is and how to be filled with the spirit. Then secondly, how do we fight? Well, we pray. This is the prayer course. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. Um, We pray. We move in prayer so that the mystery of the gospel can be fearlessly declared. Karl Barth, one of my um, favorite theologians, always good to have a favorite because then you can say that they're your favorite even if you've never read anything by them. Um, One of my favorites said, in Christian prayer, we find ourselves at the very seat of government at the very heart of the mystery and purpose of all occurrence. And I think that's really helpful to remember that prayer is a mystery. So we take part in it, but we don't quite understand it. I don't get why God moves by prayer. But I know that he wants to, because he tells us that when we pray, he'll answer. 
I don't understand why when I pray for things, sometimes they happen and sometimes I don't. When I pray for someone to get well, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. When I pray for a situation to change, sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. But I know that it happens more often when I pray. And I'm closer to God when I pray. And I know that he calls me to pray as part of my role in the battle. So I pray. Ephesians chapter 6 goes on um, as it gives us some marching orders now we're dressed in our armour. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And in this mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray, 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 pray a bit more. Um, that's what spiritual warfare looks like. In Colossians 2, that passage that Will read to us, um, Paul prays for the church and prays for us. He prays for um, those who have not met me personally, for the church. He prays for the people in Laodicea and the people in Colossae, but also for those who haven't met him, which I'm, I'm hoping is me, because um, I've not met Paul. And I'd love the idea that he's prayed for me. Pray for God's wisdom about where to sow your prayers. Spiritual warfare is not about um, pulling up the weeds. It's not about um, contending with witchcraft and drug lords and prostitution. Although there may be bits of that in it, it's mainly about sowing the good seed. Praying in the good stuff. Praying blessings over people. Praying healings over people. We know what we're called to pray. The Bible is full of it. Grab some prayers out of the Bible. There's such power in the name of Jesus. When we pray in his name, he answers. If you um, are not uh, a mighty prayer, you wouldn't class yourself as that. I wouldn't class myself as that. Um, can I encourage you to try 24-7 prayer? Have a go. See what praying for an hour in a room does. Pray for this church as we move into the new phase um, of what we're doing. Pray, pray, sow the good stuff. Keep praying. Look to Jesus. He loved praying. Keep looking to the commander and doing what he's doing because that's how we go forwards. Thirdly, practice living in the opposite direction. Live distinctively from the world. Live differently. Let's share the good news by the way that we live. Like we were singing, um, set a fire in me for all the world to see. Let's pray that our lives show the glory of God and then let's live it. Because there's no point praying it if you're not also going to live it. Live like Christ. Um, Colossians 3, I like to think of it as the undergarments of my armor, um, says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, if you're struggling to do that, I 
think it's rather a daunting challenge. Um, why not use one of the mentors that we've just trained up to walk alongside you and help you um, to get dressed properly in the morning? Um, let's live differently. Let's wear those amazing undergarments and put on the armor on top of that. I wonder if we did that, how differently we would go into this week. What is God challenging you on? How are you going to live differently? How am I going to live differently in light of being part of this extraordinary battle? And then fourthly, preach. That's the fourth thing that we're called to do, to preach. Now, I don't necessarily mean standing up here with a microphone um, proclaiming the gospel to a whole room full of people. Although some of you will do that at times, um, not necessarily all of you, not necessarily all of the time, but preach the gospel with your life. Tell people the good news. It's great news. We have great news. Share it with the people around you so that they can also be saved and love Christ. Um, on Thursday night, I was at uh, an event at the university called Gorilla Christian, um, which sounds painful and sometimes is. Um, and I was one of a panel of four Christians being asked questions. One of the questions that was asked, there were lots, um, one of the questions that was asked was, why do you Christians keep telling us the gospel? The implication being, please shut up. Um, but we are people who like to share good news. I mean, that's half the point of Facebook and Twitter. That's, that's what we do. Certainly in my generation, that's what we do. We share things. Here's a funny cat video. Here's a voucher to something. You know, this new thing has started up. My favorite band's coming to town. Why don't we share the good news of Jesus? Let's be walking Twitter. Let's share the good news of Jesus. We're quite happy to share all the rest of our good news. Let's look to Jesus, our commander, and talk about him. And let's not go to war against people, but for them. How differently would our prayer lives go if instead of praying against ISIS, we prayed for them, for their conversion, for God's work in their life, for their blessing? How differently would life go if that person that I really don't like at work, if I pray for their blessing, that person in my family who irritates me, if instead of praying, Lord, get me out of this situation, I pray, Lord, meet with them. Let's preach it. Let's pray for those who beheaded the 21, that somehow they might see Jesus. Let's pray for those who run sex slaves as well as the slaves and as well as the people who go to them, let's pray for the mums at the school gate, for the lawyer in the train seat next to us in the morning on the 7.45, for the bin man who comes to the end of your driveway every week, for the person who's completely and utterly unemployable and who stays at home feeling miserable. Let's pray, live and preach Christ our commander so that people can know his love. Because the ultimate spiritual breakthrough is when an individual who's been in the power of darkness surrenders to Christ and lets his light in. When someone becomes a Christian, that builds on that ultimate victory that we talked about earlier. 
It's the ultimate foretaste of the day when every knee will bow to Jesus and every tongue will confess his Lord and there'll be a glorious feast, the feast of the celebration of the victory and we'll be there. It will transform the way that you fight if you fight for someone and see them fall in love with Jesus. There's nothing quite like that. If you haven't seen that in your life, I'd encourage you to pray for it, live for it, preach for it, to see people around us become Christians. It will transform your life when you realize you're in a battle, but it's already been won. We're going to move now into um, a time of ministry. We're going to invite the Spirit to come and work in our lives. And I'm going to invite the prayer ministry to come up uh, at this point. Those on the prayer ministry team, if you could come to the front. And what we're going to do is we're going to wait on the Spirit. And if he prompts you about something that has been said tonight, I would love for you just to come up and be prayed for. Tell the person what it is if you like, but come and be prayed for. If there's something in tonight that you want to bring before the Lord, um, do you bring that before him? So let me pray. If you want to stand, um, and we'll invite the Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have been with us and moving among us this evening. Lord, we ask that you would fill us for this battle that we are in. Lord, that you would speak to us now 